Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swung on, ground ball right side, and through the right field, a base hit. Rounding third, Grichik on his way to the plate. The Rockies added their lead. It's now Colorado 5 and Washington 2. Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive, right center field. That's in the gap. That's going to go all the way to the wall. Abrams has scored. Speeding to third and stopping there is Thomas. And in a second is Jamer Candelario with a double to right center. And Nationals get a run home, and now the tie runs in scoring position. It's the Rockies five and the Nationals three. Here's the set. Lawrence delivers. Swing and a long drive. Deep to left. Way back. Going. 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 Goodbye. A three-run home run for Joey Manessis. A three-run homer to give the Nationals the lead here in the bottom of the eighth inning. It's now Washington 6 and Colorado 5. Unbelievable. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 26, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So game two of a three-game series for the Nats against the Colorado Rockies ended about 12 hours before Game 3 of the series is set to begin. We on Tuesday night had yet another mess of a rain situation at Nationals Park. Why is it that these situations seem to happen at Nats Park more than these situations happen in other ballparks? The start of Game 2 of this three-game series between the Nats and the Colorado Rockies was delayed for an hour and 25 minutes due to rain that did come, but never was that bad. In fact, at no point was the tarp ever actually rolled out. Then, we in the top of the seventh with what out had a rain delay that ended up lasting for 51 minutes. Had the game just started on time at 7.05 p.m., the game almost certainly would have been over by the time that that rain delay in the top of the seventh happened. So we had all of that, but we also on Tuesday night had an impressive comeback win by the Nats. We had the late night show with your Washington Nationals, a 6-5 win in a game in which the Nats overcame a 5-2 eighth inning deficit. The Nats now are 42-59, and two games ahead of the Rockies, who have the worst record in the National League. Mark, Tuesday night was uh, quite the night at Nationals Park. 
I will just say this, Al. Thank God for Jamer Candelario and thank God for Joey Manessis. Because if they do not come through there in the bottom of the eighth and the Nationals lose this game, this is going to go down as one of the most frustrating nights of the year. Really one of the most frustrating nights in a long time. When you have two rain delays, one of which didn't actually include rain, second of which could have been avoided if you had just played through the first one, and then to just be flat the way they were yet again against a very beatable Rockies pitcher. And if they lose both games to start this series after the great weekend they had, this is to me would be as as frustrating as anything they've dealt with this year. So thankfully, at the end of the night, as frustrating as the whole night was, they were still able to smile and celebrate in the clubhouse because that turned into a very nice win in the end. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of those deals where like, it felt like there were about, you know, 15 people left in the ballpark. It's super late, but the Nats were battling and they were scoring. And so it actually made for a fun watch late night on Tuesday night. We will get to why this keeps happening at Nationals Park, these rain debacles. But let's deal with the good news, the comeback by the Nats. They scored five runs over the seventh and eighth innings, a one-run seventh and a four-run eighth. Stone Garrett, he and that Nats one-run seventh, a one-out solo homer to left field off the former Nats reliever, Brad Hand, who was not having a good series. They cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. A Garrett on Tuesday night as an Nats starting left fielder and number six batter, two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. And then that four-run eighth inning, the two big blows, Jamer Candelario, an RBI double to the right center field gap to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3. He, on Tuesday night, as your Nats starting third baseman and number three batter, one for four with the RBI double. And then the biggest blow, and it came from the guy who had the biggest game, Joey Manessis. So he in this four-run eighth, a go-ahead three-run home run to left field for a 6-5 Nats lead. Manessis on Tuesday night was the Nats starting first baseman as Davey Martinez did his thing of having both K-Beard Ruiz and Riley Adams in the lineup. K-Beard as a DH, Adams as the starting catcher. Well, Manessis starting first baseman, cleanup batter, three for four with a three-run homer, a double, and a single. He barely missed the homer on the double. He did not miss the homer on that three-run homer. As we've been talking about for a few weeks now, he looks like a different hitter. He looks like the guy we saw last year. I think there have been some real adjustments made with his timing, with his ability to get under the ball and hit it in the air. And I mean, that's now five homers from him in his last 14 games. Like you said, really close to another one earlier in the game. This has been such a godsend for the team. It's good for him, obviously. But I mean, it, it shows you what a difference he makes in this lineup. And we've talked all year about how it's not his fault that all the pressure was on him to carry this lineup this year. It should never have been that way, but it was that way. And you see what a difference it makes when he does deliver, not just deliver, you know, opposite field, two out singles, which are nice, but the three run homer is something that they have so sorely lacked all year long. It makes a huge difference. And is he going to do this for the rest of the year? I don't know, but I feel like something has happened here that has clicked for him. And I do think maybe he's not going to hit home runs at this rate the rest of the season, but I do think we're going to see him continue to hit the ball in the air for power. He has made some a lot of work he's put into this, and he's starting to see the rewards of it, and I think it is something that can continue. It was always difficult for me to get super excited about Manessis' 2023 season, even with all the hits and the RBI, because he wasn't hitting for any power. And so like, he would get these singles, and they were nice. I mean, that's better than nothing. 
But you just said to yourself, like, this guy isn't hitting homers. He's not really generating that much in the way of doubles. He had some, but, you know, his slugging percentage was in the 300s. You're like, what is happening here? He now, for this month of July, is slugging 535. That's more like it. That's what we want to see from Joey Manessis. And, you know, it's a funny deal with the Nats in this month of July because the record isn't uh, stellar. And, you know, it's been an up and down month. There has been some good, like the sweep of the Giants. There also has been some not so good. And yet in this month of July, you have C.J. Abrams, Kate Bear Ruiz, and Joey Manessis all doing really well. So it's like, well, what's happening with the team is one thing, but what's happening with these three guys is another thing. This really is turning out to be a great month for multiple key Nationals players. Yeah, they are hitting collectively as a team. Maybe not everybody that you want to see hit. and Maybe some nights like this that doesn't happen until they get to the seventh inning, but there are much better signs for them offensively. It's Manessis, yes. You know, Lane Thomas has been up and down, but he's still doing some stuff. But Ruiz and Abrams, I mean, that's the key, as we've been talking about all year. They both have done such a nice job. That's the reason that Ruiz has DH'd now four times in the last month with Riley Adams catching. Both have hit well. Davey is finding ways to get them both in the lineup. I think you could see even more of this as they move forward. There's no reason not to continue to do that. And C.J. Abrams, you know, let's give him credit for starting this rally in the eighth inning. Leadoff single and yet another stolen base. He's now 17 for his last 17. He's got 20 on the season. That ignited everything and got it going and put pressure on the Rockies with a runner in scoring position to start that inning. Yeah, C.J. Abrams, this tear that he's on, it's not just what he's doing, it's the consistency with which he is doing what he is doing. Basically, every game, he does something. And in many games, he does more than a something. He does multiple somethings. But like in this game on Tuesday night, what you just said, you know, he had the hit, he had the stolen base, he ignited that four-run eighth inning. So I mentioned Davey doing the thing of having both Kbert Ruiz and Riley Adams in the lineup. Kbert did not have a good night on Tuesday night from a batting perspective, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts. Again, he was a DH and the number five batter. But Riley Adams, once again, coming through in a playing time opportunity. He is the starting catcher, number eight batter, two for four with an RBI double and a single. Adams in an Nats one run second, a two out RBI double to deep left field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. And Adams in the bottom of the fifth, a one out single on a 1-2 pitch through the left side of the infield. Riley Adams now this season, 95 plate appearances. He still is not at 100 plate appearances, but his OPS is at 903. I really do hope down the stretch we see more of Adams in the lineup. I don't know what the reason is at this point not to have him in the lineup more. You know, whether it is as the uh, starting catcher with Cabert Ruiz as the DH, you know, you could go with Adams as the DH. It doesn't have to be this way, the way that Davey Martinez has been doing it. You know, it does leave Dominic Smith as the odd man out. I think we can all live with that. But man, what more does Riley Adams have to do to get himself more playing time? I agree, and I asked Davey about it pregame. You know, I want to keep Riley going a little bit. He's swinging the bat well. And also, like I said, K-Bear swinging the bat really good right-handed and giving Dom a day, too, with the early game tomorrow. I think some of this is he's been starting games in a calculated way, trying to find the right matchups, mostly against left-handers, and he has been a much better hitter against lefties. But that doesn't mean you can't try to get a little more out of him and try to take advantage of what he's providing for you, which is legitimately good production almost every time that he comes up bat. You said the 900 OPS. At one point in this game, he, he fell back below the mark, but he was hitting over 300 
for the season. He's down to 299. Now, name me another team that has a backup catcher doing that for you. <laughs> and why does he only have 95 plate appearances? So I think there are ways to make this work. I think you can find ways to get them both in the lineup more often. I don't think it's suddenly going to turn into a Riley Adams starting, you know, four or five times a week, but maybe three times a week instead of two times a week. And it doesn't just have to be against lefties. I think there are ways that they can pull this off. If it means Joey Manessis playing first base, even if it means Joey having a day off, it's not the end of the world. This is all about the future. And you still got to kind of figure out how does Riley Adams figure into this in the long term? We know Cabert Ruiz is the catcher. I mean, they've locked him up. They're not going to make that change. But can Riley Adams still be a significant part of this? And does it only have to be as a number two catcher who plays once or maybe twice a week? There are other ways to do this. DH, I don't think first base is still in the equation for him. But between him and Kabert, I think you can make this work. And if he plays more and that exposes him and he doesn't hit, well, at least you now you know. You know that maybe he really isn't all that he's made out to be and that maybe he is a guy who's better off only playing once or twice a week and finding the right matchups for him for the games to start. But what do you have to lose by trying it a little more and finding out maybe he can continue this playing on a much more regular basis than we've seen? We've talked about this, but why is first base off the table with Riley Adams? Like they they haven't really even tried it. Why are they so certain that he can't do it? What is the reason that this is not something that's being explored? I think at the time early last year, they didn't really have a natural backup. When Ryan Zimmerman retired, they didn't necessarily have that like standard backup right-handed hitting first baseman. And over time, they now have Dom Smith and Joey Manessis. Remember, they had Luke Voigt there for a while last year. I think they just felt like there were better options defensively to play that position. And remember, Riley did not have a good year offensively last year. And so I think you may be saw people in the organization say, all right, maybe this guy isn't really all that much anymore and let's just try to make him into a a decent backup catcher. Not to say that it can't still happen, but I haven't gotten any sense that that is in their mind. I think they really want to work with him on becoming a better catcher. It's funny, a backup catcher you typically think of as a defense first guy. You're not really thinking offense from that spot. He has been more of an offensive guy than a defensive guy, but I still think they believe he can become a better defensive catcher and they feel like it's worth it to work with him on that. And I guess the thought is if Cabert Reeves ever gets hurt, you need somebody who you know you're confident in that works with the pitching staff every day and that he would be the guy. So I don't sense it happening again. Maybe the addition of the DH allows for him to still get in the lineup more, but I haven't really gotten any sense that first base is in the equation for Riley Adams anymore. Yeah, I just find that odd. I mean, he could do both. It's not an impossibility. And, you know, as we go down the stretch of this season, you know, Dominic Smith is probably not going to be here next year. So why do we need to see more of him? Like, get Riley Adams more plate appearances. Figure out ways to get him more plate appearances. I would like to see him out there uh, more. He's earning it, too. I mean, this isn't like you're gifting him anything. Like, he's earning it with the way that he's batting. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kabert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. 
Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. (laughs) The solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed no money down no payments and no interest for two years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy call 866-90nation or visit windownation.com that's 866-90nation or windownation.com and make sure that you tell window nation that al galdi sent you getting ready is 0-1 on the way, swinging a ground ball, chop right side. Garcia has it. He'll jog toward first. He'll flip it on to Smith and bang, zoom, a curly W's in the books. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
So really nice job by the Nats to come from behind and win this game and, you know, re-energize this game because this was a lackluster game. Nobody was in a good mood (laughs) with the two rain delays. And yet the Nats ended up making this, you know, a happy night at Nationals Park, at least for those who were still in the ballpark. Now, the Nats starting pitcher in this game on Tuesday night was Trevor Williams. He was not good, although he did at least eat up six innings. And if you were watching this game in the early innings, it did not look like Trevor Williams would be lasting for six innings. He ultimately allowed four runs in six innings. He gave up nine hits, a home run, a double, and seven singles. He had three strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 93 pitches, 58 strikes versus 35 balls. He really labored in the early portion of this game. Top of the second, he allowed two runs. He gave up four consecutive two-out hits. Among them was a two-out full-count RBI double by Michael Tolia to the right field corner for a 1-0 Rockies lead. That double concluded a 10-pitch plate appearance in which Tolia was down at 1.12. Williams in the top of the third allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff first pitch home run by Ezekiel Tovar to left field off the foul pole, in fact for a 3-1 Rockies lead. So Trevor Williams labored, to be sure, but I give him credit for at least getting through six innings. Well, look, those first three innings, the Rockies were 9 for 15 against him. They were aggressive. They were going right after him. A couple of those long at-bats that you just mentioned, but he didn't walk anybody. They were just making contact, and they were making hard contact. And he's at 60 pitches after three innings. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is going to be a 100 pitches in five innings kind of night for Trevor Williams, which unfortunately we have seen too many times this year. So to his credit, he figured it out, started to get weaker contact. I think he went to his curveball a little bit more. The other weird part of this was his fastball velocity was down. He had back-to-back strikeouts in the fifth inning, both on four-seam fastballs. One of them registered 86 miles an hour. The other one was 87. This is a guy who averages 90. He's not, not an overpowering pitcher by any means, but 86-87. Now, it was working. Maybe he was throwing their timing off with that, but that was a little bit of a red flag and a concern to me. Now, because he was effective, you don't really think that much of it, and I'm sure there was no concern, or at least you know so much so they felt like, well, we better get him out of here or get him checked out. But I'll be interested to see in his next start, is that an issue again? And if so, is that something they need to address here? You don't find a lot of right-handers throwing 86-87 and doing it effectively. Well, he obviously has this history of being both a starter and a reliever. He's a veteran pitcher, but would he be on any kind of a workload limit for this season just because this is not a guy who like routinely has been throwing 180 innings season in and season out? I remember asking this at the time of the signing over the winter, and the the feeling was while he hasn't done it in a few years, he has done it before back when he was with the Pirates and was a full-time starter. So the thinking was that he should be okay and they don't really have to watch it that closely. Now, we have seen, for the most part, they don't let him go over 100. I think it only happened once this year. So I think it's more about the pitch count than the innings. He's generally not efficient enough to go deep enough in a game that you're really concerned about that anyways. So I don't get the sense that they're going to have to skip his starts or that they're worried about anything like that. But let's see, next time out, where is the velocity? If it's down again... That's a red flag, and now you got to be worried a little bit. But they were pretty happy in the end with how this one worked out. I mean, you don't often get excited about a a start, which a guy gives him four runs on nine hits. (laughs) But because of the way he finished, it felt like a much better outing than the final line would indicate. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I say what I'm about to say with uh, my fingers crossed and uh, all praise to the baseball gods in the sky. 
But the Nationals this season have enjoyed spectacular health with the starting pitching. I mean, you think about this, right? Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Patrick Corbin, Trevor Williams, Jake Irvin, they've all stayed healthy, okay? Now, yes, Cade Cavalli, Tommy John surgery, and I guess you could say, yes, Steven Strasburg, although I would put that in an entirely different category. But how many other teams in the majors have enjoyed the kind of starting pitching health that the Nats have enjoyed this season? I mean, you even think back to like last season, you know, when the Nats would call up the likes of like Jackson Tatro and Evan Garcia, those guys got hurt. You know, it, it was like they, they couldn't quite handle pitching in the majors. You know, they got hurt uh, pretty quickly. Jake Irvin has stayed healthy. Gore, Gray, healthy. Williams, Corbin, healthy. I give the Nats a lot of credit for that. Whatever they're doing, whatever juju they got cooking with these guys seems to be working. Now, you know, there probably is an element of some luck here, too. Uh, but man, that is something. When's the last time the Nats went through an entire season where in season, they never put a starting pitcher on an injured list. Again, Cavalli would be before the season. The opening day, he got placed on an injured list. I'm talking in season. This is incredible to me that the Nats have not had to put any starting pitcher on an injured list so far this year. I had the exact same thought just within the last few days. And so you're not alone in thinking that. And yes, fingers crossed that that doesn't change at all. I mean, the only change they've made to their rotation since the start of the season was for performance reasons. Chad Cool, you know, well, he got hurt, but you know, got hurt in quotation marks, and then Jake Irvin took over. So that is a remarkable thing that even in this team's best years with proven excellent starters wasn't always the case. Somebody was always dealing with something along the way. So you've now got four guys with 20 plus starts on the season, and Jake Irvin is at 14. So that's really unusual and has been kind of a a, a, a quietly like really important thing that's happened this year. Now, there's a long way to go still. You got to be careful and, and things could fall apart very quickly. But I think Josiah Gray now over multiple seasons has shown us that he's pretty durable. I think Patrick Corbin for quite a long time has shown us that injuries are not going to be the issue with him. There are other factors with him. And Mackenzie Gore, let's not forget, I mean, he missed half of last season with an elbow injury. And coming into spring training, we weren't entirely sure what he was going to be from a health standpoint. The fact that he has taken the mound every five days and has been strong is another great sign. So yes, kudos to all of them, the pitchers themselves, the coaching staff, the training staff that has kept them in good shape. That is an underrated development this season. They've only used six starting pitchers since opening day, and the one change was for performance, not for injury. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically you could say, well, they put Chad Cool on an injured list. But like you were just saying, we know what that truly was about. Nats bullpen in this game on Tuesday night ended up being all right. Did give up a lot of hits. Three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings with four strikeouts. Gave up a total of six hits. Amos Willingham faced three batters, got one out. Jose A. Ferrer, a run in one and two-thirds innings. And Kyle Finnegan, thank goodness, a scoreless top of the ninth inning. I mean, the comeback in the bottom of the eighth was great. But of course, with this Nats bullpen, I mean, I know I said to myself, well, we still have a top of the ninth that we need to get through. And the last thing that anybody wanted was extra innings in this game on Tuesday night. So good job by Finnegan to get the job done. All right. So we've had this conversation many times. The rain delay mess, the rain scenario mess at Nationals Park. It does seem to happen at Nationals Park more than happens at other ballparks. You know, we always say 
Dealing with the weather, dealing especially with summertime rain, it's not easy. It's very easy to Monday morning quarterback this stuff. At the same time, what ended up happening on Tuesday night was such a worst case scenario with basically this waste of a delayed start to the game and then this substantial rain delay in game that could have been avoided had the game started on time. Looking at everything now, again, Monday morning quarterbacking it, is there anything within reason that you think the Nats should have done differently or was this just, you know, bad circumstance, bad luck? When they announced that the game was going to start in a delay, I was down on the field actually with Dan Colco in the middle of the pregame show and I'm looking up around me. I'm like, I don't see any clouds really. And I knew there was a chance of some rain before the day was over, but I figured, well, they must know that something is about to hit us pretty soon. Then I went and looked at my weather app and the storm, while it was significant, was out past Manassas. It was well west of the city. You're talking probably an hour away at that point. And I'm no expert here, but it looked like it was moving not directly to the east, but kind of southeast a little bit to the point that it was going to be hit or miss. It might get to us, but it might pass to the south. And so I understand the rationale because this is they've been burned several times already this year, starting a game and having their starter not able to return because it started raining in the second or third inning. It happened to Trevor Williams in St. Louis a couple weeks ago. So I, I get that, that the last thing you want to do is start a game and then have to pull your starter so quickly. Neither team wants that to happen. But in my very amateur weather expertise, it looked to me like they were going to be able to play at least an hour of that game before there was any threat of anything, maybe more than that. And there was a greater threat of rain later in the night. It looked to me that way. So sure enough, this is exactly how it plays out. There were a few sprinkles. The storm was close. It was on the edge of like the Anacostia River, but it never actually crossed over into it. And so they stood there, the grounds crew stood there at the tarp, ready to go if needed, and it was never needed. And you end up with a game that should have started at 7.05, not starting until 8.30. And while they were able to start the game at that point, I'm still looking at that radar and I'm thinking, it's going to rain around 10 o'clock tonight. And what do you know? It rained at 10 o'clock and it rained hard. Now, thankfully, that delay was only 51 minutes. And at that point, you know, it didn't really disrupt a whole lot because both starters were going to be out of the game. But man, for everybody who waited it out, that was incredibly frustrating. I get it. It's hard to be perfect at this stuff. DC weather in the summertime is maybe as tricky as it is anywhere. But a couple of weeks ago, we're in St. Louis. There were three straight days. Every game had a rain delay in it. And there were similar circumstances where they called it a rain delay and they pulled the tarp before we ever saw a drop. But they got it right because within 20 minutes, it started pouring. And they ultimately did the right thing and made the best of the situation they were in. Why is it that that one worked out and this one didn't? And it's not like this is the first time we've dealt with anything like this. I feel for those guys. It's a no-win situation often, but boy, it'd be nice for them to get it right a little more consistently than they have. Yeah, I think when it keeps happening, you have to say, why does it keep happening here and not necessarily in other spots? I also think there's an element of, you know, you want your cake and you want to eat it too. It's like, if you're not going to have a retractable roof or some sort of domed environment, and you're going to insist on, you know, having a night game here. Because the Nats, you know, they start their night games in the 7 o'clock hour. They don't do what other teams do 
which is, you know, some teams will start at like 640. You'll see that. You know, the Phillies this week have a weekday game starting at 605. Like, you could do that if you wanted to. You don't have to start every weeknight game at 705. The Nats have insisted on this for years. I personally don't know why in the summertime, when you have this constant threat of rain and you have people who are off, you know, no school, people on vacation, why you can't have weeknight games starting in the six o'clock hour to at least allow for a little more flexibility when it comes to dealing with rain. But, you know, you don't have a roof or a dome. You insist on the 7.05 start time, and then you don't want to start a game and then have your starting pitcher only pitch for an inning or two. Well, you can't have everything, okay? Like, you're going to have to sacrifice something here. And, you know, why they couldn't have just started the game on time on Tuesday night, even if it meant having to halt it, you know, two or three innings into the game, I think we all could have survived that, you know? And then there's the other thing of these teams, and this is, I guess, more of an MLB thing than a team thing, but they never want to just call a game. I mean, this thing was 4-1, and look, it's a good thing it wasn't halted because the Nats ended up winning, but, you know, MLB does not like to call games and say it's a rain-shortened game or even if it's a suspended game, and so you have that aspect of, like, no, we're going to play deep into the night, and it's like something's got to give at some point. You can't have everything here. I personally would like to see teams in MLB become a little more proactive with this stuff. If there is a threat of rain moving up start times, we rarely if ever see that. I get that that can inconvenience people, but you know what also inconveniences people? Two plus hours of a, of a rain delay in a game. You know, why couldn't you move this up to say 6.05 for this evening? And you know, if people can't make that, maybe you offer them tickets to another game. I mean, it's not like the Nats are selling out game in game out. But I'd like to see a little more proactive thinking and creative thinking instead of just, you know, this rigid thinking of we have to start at this time and, you know, we're not going to move off it and we're going to have to stick to certain principles. And if we don't stick to those principles, like we can't have that. I I think teams have got to become more open-minded with this. If you're not going to have a retractable roof and you're in an environment like DC in which you do have this wildly unpredictable rain in the summer, I think you've got to be open to different things. The shame of this is that you had one of the better rallies of the year and, and come from behind wins of the year. And it was witnessed by like a few hundred people who were still there at 11.35 p.m. when Joey Manessis hit that home run. So all those other factors you just described and, and the things you're trying to avoid, well, was it worth it to then have only a few people in the stands for this great moment at the end of the night where maybe that could have happened earlier with a lot more people in the stands? It's tough. It's tricky. I get it. You can try to beat Mother Nature and you're never going to be successful at that. But these guys seem to be worse at it than just about anybody. I don't know why that's the case, but it is the case. Now, I'll give Nats credit for a couple of things. One, when the uh, first rain delay started, they put a message up on the scoreboard very quickly. Hey, fans, 40% off all hot dogs, sausages, fries, I think a few other things, chicken tenders, things like that in the stands. So, all right, good for them for discounting the food. Although the joke in the press box was, well, I guess we now know what the markup is for these items. What What's the, the amount that we can reduce the price and still make a profit on it? I guess it's 40%. Second thing they did, and again, you know, what are you supposed to do at this point? After the second rain delay, they announced that all fans could move to the lower deck to watch the final few innings of the game. So if you had a cheap seat, you at least got to watch Joy's three-run homer in the big rally in the bottom of the eighth from like right behind the dugout. So good for them for at least offering that. Yeah, and at least they put up messages on the scoreboard, unlike back in May with that uh, situation against the Mets, the first major rain mess 
of this year. I also would throw this into the mix. And this is something that I never hear highlighted with these rain situations, but I think it's really important. You know, we'll never know how many people get turned off by a bad experience at a baseball game because of a rain mess. And so they don't go back to a game or they don't go back to more games than they otherwise would. Like when the Nats have these rain situations, how many fans get disincentivized to buy tickets to future Nats games? How many fans get turned off to buying tickets to future Nats games? So I think there's that to consider too. Like in this day and age, you know, with, with the uh, you know up and down economy we have and, you know, not everyone having the disposable income that they used to have, you got to make things easy and fun for people who go to your games. You have to reward people for going to your games. You know, you have to enhance the customer experience. It's very competitive in this area, right, in terms of people where they choose to spend their disposable income. And so to me, if you're the Nats, you really need to bend over backwards for these people in these rain delay situations. And so, you know, that does mean trying to avoid these situations and doing the things like you just talked about. And, you know, good job on the Nats on doing that. But that was one of those things from that game back in May against the Mets that really I just could not get over of like, it was almost like there was this thing of, you know, the fans, let them eat cake, you know, like we, we don't need to handle these people. It's like, no, these people are your customers, okay? And especially with the state of the team right now, they don't have to be going to your games. They don't have to be paying the absurd money that has to be paid, you know, for tickets and parking and the like. To say nothing of the commute to Nationals Park, which is not easy for a lot of people in this area. So, yeah, I think that always needs to be top of mind for these teams of you got to think about the customer and the ticket paying fan and how to make things easy for them. And again, to reward them, to incentivize them to come back to you. Because we don't know when these rain situations happen, how many people get turned off and decide in the future not to go to a Nats game and to do something else that's easier and more convenient. I don't know if this is true or not, but it felt like going through this one, the frequency of the updates on the scoreboard, those little gifts that they were giving out, the cheaper uh, concessions, letting everybody move down. It felt to me a little bit like they were going out of their way to try to make up for their past transgressions. Like they knew it, we've got to be better. And they almost took it to the extreme in the other direction this time. You know, they're giving updates every 15 minutes when there's no update to be given. It's still raining. Obviously, they're in a rain delay. They couldn't tell us what time the game was going to start until they knew for sure. I do know that within the organization, there is an understanding of how much they've struggled in this department and how they need to be better at it. And sometimes the answer to that is just try to treat your customers better and start offering them whatever you can to make up for it. But ultimately, I think most fans would rather not have to worry about being able to move down to the lower deck or get 40% off your chicken tenders. They'd rather a game start on time and finish before 10 p.m. We also had, by the way, for the first time this year, I believe, the message on the scoreboard telling us that the last Metro train was going to be leaving at whatever time that was. Thankfully, the pitch clock and every, and, and Metro being better now and not, not shutting down quite as early has prevented that from what used to be a very regular occurrence. The, hey, the last train's leaving in 20 minutes and fans flooding for the exits to try to make the train. We finally had that for the first time in this game and it required two rain delays in a game that went past 1130 for that to even come up. Yeah, well, Metro is an entirely different conversation that we can have <laughs> sometime. But there's no doubt. I mean, what happened back in May, just a quick refresher. This was a 3-2 Nats win over the Mets. It was a rain-suspended game. Started on Saturday, May 13th. Was concluded on Sunday, May 14th. 
The game had a rain delay that lasted for three hours, 56 minutes, during which fans at Nationals Park were basically provided with no updates. And then also during the rain delay was little rain after about two hours. When you have a colossal screw-up like that, you better bend over backwards. You better be doing all kinds of yoga poses to bend over backwards for fans the next time you have something like that. So props to the Nats for hopefully learning from that. But yeah, it happened again. A uh, rain scenario that uh, was not ideal on Tuesday night. But we did get an entertaining Nationals win, so that was good. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show Podcast at gmail.com. Check out our website to natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the payoff pitch on the way. Swung on, line to right center field toward the gap. Thomas closing on the run. Can't get there. He'll play it on one big hop. McMahon trying for second. Here's the throw. The tag by Abrams. And he is out at second base. And that will retire the side. Lane Thomas with his 11th outfield assist of the year. Leads the National League. Ties him for the Major League lead in outfield assists. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com